Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. As we settle in... For just a few moments, I uh, I want to pray before I begin to speak. Dear God, let your spirit settle among us right now. Open up this space for revelation that leads us into love and liberation. In spite of my frailty and failings, Guide my words towards goodness and beauty and usefulness. And give your people the discernment to reject what is false in what I say and to embrace your word when it cuts through. Amen. Historically, church mothers, fathers, and parents have ranked Christian characters character traits or virtues, sorting through these virtues, listing priorities, trying to identify what's the most important aspect of the Christian life. Is kindness the most important? Is chastity? Temperance? And it seems to me like these kinds of debates are, are largely fruitless and you know, because none of these things are mutually exclusive and they all work together. But these folks thought that there was something useful, at least in some moments, to focus on something. To raise it up, to lift it up and to focus, to attend to a truth that we desperately need to assimilate. And so this morning, I want to offer up my own intervention. I want to suggest that one of the most important Christian capacities available to us, one of the most pressing abilities that we need to cultivate as Christians is the practice of being wrong. This morning I want to explore the spirituality of being wrong. Because is there anything harder? There's nothing fun about being wrong being in that place, right? No one, no one likes spending their lives believing something false. They may be comfortable in their false belief, but they're not comfortable knowing that it's false. So when, when we get there, when we start thinking we're arriving at this moment, when someone is, is questioning our belief, or when the threat of having been duped is on the table, When someone is suggesting that something we believe might be wrong, we get a little prickly. So if it's a a fairly inconsequential belief, then it might be okay. And I have a story about this. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, no older than four, I was still living in Oregon at the time, I saw a commercial for Trix yogurt. There were a couple of versions of it, but the pattern was the same. There was these two kids walking around in black and white, and they were super, like, sad. And the world was really dreary and dark and boring. And then someone busts out this yogurt, which is, it's in color. Everything else is in black and white. It's in color. 
And then the kids take a bite of it. And then the world explodes into color and sparkles and energy. And the world comes alive, right, with this new energy. I actually have the clip, if we could roll that real quick, just so you can see what I'm talking about. Drake's yogurt. That should put a spark in this park. Awesome! Two fruity colors in every cup. Like strawberry banana bash and raspberry rainbow. So you can flood your world with color. How about me? Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Delicious tricks yogurt from Yoplay. It's colorful fun. Tricks yogurt. I was, I was four years old. Our family didn't have a TV, so I saw it somewhere else. But so you see that, and you're convinced, right? You need to have that, and I needed to have that, and I got it somehow. I remember sitting at the dinner table all by myself, and I had this yogurt in front of me. And I opened it up, it's colorful, you know, take a... And even at four years old, I just, I thought to take a beat. And I looked around at my world. I was like, everything is going to be different after this you know and i'm appreciating this transition and i and i'm like trying to build up the energy of it and i close my eyes and i bring it to my lips and i'm just filling up with this giddy energy and i take a bite and then i wait a little bit longer and then i open my eyes and everything's exactly the same and i don't even, i don't know what i expected right because the world's already in color i don't know what i thought was going to happen I thought there would be a new energy or dimension to the world. I don't know what I thought, but I was crestfallen. And there was an even deeper disappointment in the realization that I had been tricked. Tricks had tricked me. They sold me a lie. And I, I didn't understand metaphor at four years old. I didn't understand how advertising works. And they weaponized my innocence against me and got me to purchase their product. They led me to be wrong. I was wrong. And while it's hilarious to think about this error now, being wrong didn't feel good, and it almost never does. But when it's something that doesn't matter all that much, we can deal with it and move on. We begin to run into problems when we might be wrong about serious and significant things. Things we've built our identity on. Things that have structured our worldview, that organize how we see, encounter, and deal with the world. And I'll give just another slightly more serious example. I grew up a young earth creationist, meaning that we believed that the earth was only 6,000 years old, because that's what we believe the Bible said, and that the theory of evolution was this anti-God farce that must be opposed completely. I was homeschooled for some years, and we used creationist textbooks that denied mainstream science and taught young earth apologetics. We watched traveling evangelists attempt to deconstruct evolution and argue for the scientific accuracy of scripture. A couple weeks ago, for Youthful Fellowship, I made folks watch videos of this guy because they're so insane. But being, being anti-evolution was a huge part of my identity and worldview and my faith rested upon that commitment. Until one day, I was watching a pro-evolution video so that I could practice my arguments against it. And the narrator said something like, well, there are intense, 
cultural wars being waged between proponents and opponents of evolution on the grounds of faith in Scripture, evolution and faith don't actually have to be opposed. And the narrator provided a short explanation. And it included reading Scripture in a way that I had never thought of before and that I didn't know was possible and opened me up to wonder, am I wrong? And it turns out I was wrong, again. And it took a long process of reconfiguring how I thought about Scripture and God and the world to get the pieces back in some workable order. And it wasn't just that. So many things then snowballed out of that one shift. It was a painful, scary, and disorienting process. Because being wrong is not easy. The Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann talks about the biblical pattern of disorientation and reorientation. The biblical characters are constantly encountering a crisis of life, of faith, and becoming disoriented. But God's faithfulness constantly brings them back, reorienting them to themselves and to God. And Brueggemann suggests pastoral theologian that he is, that we ought to familiarize ourselves with this pattern too. Because we are constantly caught in these cycles of disorientation and reorientation. We encounter something new and troubling that disturbs our worldview, and so often we'll just reject that out of hand because the pain of disorientation is so uncomfortable. But Brueggemann suggests that we ought to embrace the confusion, to step into it, because God is always where the mystery is. And because it's through this process that we grow, reorientation is hard-won maturity. And we never arrive there if we cannot confront our capacity for error, if we have no ability to embrace the sickly feeling of being wrong. This process gets harder as we get older because the stakes get higher. Because the years of our lives stack on top of beliefs, and any troubling of that belief threatens to topple the whole edifice. I could readjust my worldview at four, and again at 14. And because I'm in the habit of this constant readjustment, I feel like I'm open to change and I'm open to being wrong again because I've done it so much. But then I'm also afraid of of a misplaced confidence in my own humility. That's its own deception. With time, it gets harder to be wrong. Our beliefs have worked for us. They've carried us safely to the place we now stand. And it's difficult to want to disturb that after so many years of convenient functionality. But we as Christians have to be better than that better than acquiescing to comfortability and functionality. We have to care about the truth. Maybe you don't like the word truth. That's okay. You could pick a different one. But what I'm saying is that we have to care about what serves the project of love and liberation. That is truth. And oftentimes we run up against what we've been trained to think what we've been indoctrinated with or propagandized into believing. 
Who has informed your beliefs about queer and trans people? What has shaped your thoughts on race, on this country as a project, on capitalism and socialism, on police and prisons, on revolution and reform? What has generated the beliefs that you hold, and do they serve the truth of liberating the oppressed? Or could you be wrong? Could you be wrong? Are you available to that possibility? Think about how weird we get when the possibility that we might be wrong is even suggested sometimes. Let's go back to that Jonah text. So Jonah, you know, with the, with the language of that translation, it doesn't come through quite as clearly, but Jonah's being a fussy little baby. <laughs> because he wanted to see some Assyrians get slaughtered. Okay, and he's pissed that God showed them compassion. And so pretty much what he says is, he says, see, I knew you were going to have mercy on these folks. That's why I didn't want to come on this trip. I knew that's what you always do. I didn't want to come. And now I'm here and you're forgiving them and I don't get to see them all burn. I didn't want to be here for this. And the backstory is that the book of Jonah is probably a kind of parody or satire on prophets. Prophets that want to see people suffer, that are so into the fire and brimstone stuff, have no space for the grace of God. So they're kind of making fun of Jonah as this paradigmatic prophet. So Jonah's mad that God is being gracious, and God's asking him, are you, are you right to be mad? And Jonah's like, yeah, I am, and this sucks so much I want to die. So God, okay, makes him a little plant for shade, and then it gets eaten by a worm. And Jonah's continuing to lose it because he's so angry and he wants to die, and God is trying to get him to get a grip, but he stays committed to his position. Something I remember my dad saying a lot growing up is we're not rational creatures. We're rationalizing creatures which is to say that we will manufacture justification for all kinds of false beliefs and bad attitudes and hurtful behaviors in order to secure ourselves against being wrong. Sometimes we just confuse to even consider the possibility out of spite. But the reality is that we're wrong so often. And if you don't have like a little list of things that make you cringe because you were so wrong. I have bad news for you. You've been wrong a bunch, and you just don't know it. And not even just about this big picture political stuff, right? We're wrong in our relationships. We did do what our loved one said we did. And it's tough because in all of this, we understand our intentions, right? That we never choose to believe something just because we hate a group of people so much. We never treat our loved ones with real contempt. But regardless of our intentions, we still fail one another. We still do what's hurtful. We still believe in ideas that get people harmed. And we have to have the kind of character that can admit our fault that can be wrong and then be better. That's the fruit of the Spirit, if anything is. That's the revival that our world needs. We need to learn how to be wrong 
And our gospel reading today is instructive here. Doubting Thomas. You gotta love him. We can all relate, right? No, no way. He was raised from the dead, Thomas says. No way. This kind of thing doesn't happen. I know, I know how the world works. And this sort of thing doesn't happen. I know I'm right. And who can blame him, right, for a very reasonable commitment? But he's wrong. Jesus appears before him, and Thomas, still incredulous, demands to touch him. Thomas touches Jesus and believes, my Lord and my God, he says. He could have kept going in his disbelief, right, digging his heels and then saying, no, I know I'm right, accusing the man in front of him of being an imposter and concluding that he'd lost his own mind or some other form of rejecting the reality of his own error, but he admits that he was wrong. And in so doing, steps into closer relationship with the risen Christ. Being wrong can be so profoundly liberating. That's how I've experienced it. While it's terrifying to confront the unknown that stands on the other side of our false beliefs, once we actually get there, we see what we've been missing. And that's what I want for us this morning. I want us to be able to release even our most deeply held beliefs if Christ demands them of us. If the work of love and liberation requires it. So let's put aside our pride and learn to be wrong so that we might be right. Let's not foreclose the possibilities of what could be true for us by the grace of God but rather be open to the new thing that God might do. Let's hold what we think we know with open hands, ready to release whatever doesn't serve God and neighbor. Let's learn to practice the spirituality of being wrong. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.